Blog Talk Radio. Ralston in Omaha 
and that's where the Omaha Heart uh, got defeated 87-12. to The Dallas Desire now moves on to face one more time the Seattle Miss. Uh, it's going to be on August 6th at the Showworth Center, and Dallas uh, had beaten Seattle before, and at this point it's going to be a great clash. Um, Michelle Angel against K.K. Matheny. So it's a good, good, uh, awesome uh, weekend of football. Um, so that was the three main st- slates um, in the uh, women's game internationally, as well as right here in the States and in Mexico. So uh, the big uh, thing that we be, we're going to be talking about this uh, in, the, in the hour, in about an hour here, we're going to bring Darren Steinke from uh, Thanks, and he's going to cover the uh, Football Canada uh, Women's Senior uh, Championship, which uh, Team Saskatchewan uh, with the Regina, uh, Regina Riot and the champion Saskatoon Valkyries were uh, participating as a squad. And they went ahead and beat Quebec in the final. So we'll talk to Darren about the event, uh, how it turned out, second annual event for Football Canada um, for, um, you know, getting ready for the World Championships. It's a really good tournament. The turnout was really good. A lot of uh, teams played very well, as well as Alberta winning the uh, bronze, Quebec taking the silver. Uh, so we'll talk to him. And then we got off uh, WFA and IWFL offseason news coming up in about 40 minutes. We'll be talking to Michael Burmey, kind of give us a rundown in terms of what's going on in the offseason in the Women's Football League and the Independent Women's Football League in terms of new teams being added, things uh, changing up. And uh, we had a little bit of a controversy this weekend from the uh, Y-Bowl Championship uh, over online and on the uh, blog forums. So we'll talk to Congetta Grisby about that situation. And uh, the league obviously came out and already formally denounced any wrongdoing um, in terms of the allegations. And you can uh, get the response from the Women's Football Alliance on our Facebook page as well, at Gridiron Beauties on Facebook. Um, So uh, welcome to Gridiron Blitz. We're going to talk about a little bit of NFL uh, camp news right here before we get into it. So our slate today, our no-joke football huddle – it's going to be Kenjetta Grisby of the champion, back-to-back champion, uh, D.C. Divas, and outstanding running back. We wanted to get her in here because, uh, obviously, MVP material. We had MVP last week of um, Keisha Cox from the IWFL, so uh, we want to make sure that we give her her props as well. And then we're going to move forward to uh, WFA Tier 2, the champion St. Louis Slam, and we're bringing on board as well Taylor Hay, and we're going to talk about her outstanding journey as well as the team, the rebound this year, and uh, making history. Uh, the Slam was the team that won the inaugural 2009 championship in the Women's Football Alliance back in 2009. And now they uh, win the inaugural Tier 2 championship here in 2006. So kind of very exciting for the franchise. A uh, lot of opportunities here. Looking forward to uh, next year. And they had big wins during the season. So we'll talk to Taylor about that and their playoff run as well, and basically uh, putting out the Inferno in the, se- in the actual finals. So we'll talk to her on that. Then, we'll, like I said, we'll get into Michael Burmey with the offseason news and Darren Stanky at the top of the hour. But in, in the NFL in itself, August, uh, I mean, pl- NFL players have, a, uh, have to, re- you know, report to camp. So some of them are reluctant. Every year it becomes a situation where somebody doesn't want to come into camp, doesn't feel like they're getting paid enough. Um, all that. So the opening of the 2016 training camp across the NFL um, has featured pretty much a lot of storylines, cold, hard cash, notable names wanting more money. Um, you would think in a recession in our country, the sports uh, figures would be, um, you know, 
kind of like taking less money, but reality is that's what the market bears in the pro, pro, uh, professional sports. So they're going to get whatever they can cash in on and doing that. So Antonio Brown, uh, big story, Pittsburgh, uh, Brown, uh, six-year, $43.4 million contract. Pittsburgh gave him a new deal. Um, so because he earned it, uh, you know, as, as a, the first 1,000-yard campaign, now he becomes a true NFL superstar and Steelers leader. So Pittsburgh will do it again, um, I guess, you know, to try to get re-signed and, and get him done. So, um, you know, he's a good receiver. Um, he, he generally is pretty good at – he had at 265 receptions over the past two seasons, and that's the highest total uh, by, by player in consecutive seasons in the history of the NFL. So followed up with a 1,600-plus uh, yard in 2014. And so, you know, obviously he deserves to, be, to get paid. Uh, Rob Gronkowski of the New England Patriots, um, Gronk's agent, Drew Rosenthal, met with Patriots last week to talk about his start uh, client. So according to this, nothing's been set in stone. Uh, this March, the uh, Patriots picked up Gronk's $10 million option, an action which uh, keeps the Titan locked into the team-friendly salary through 2019. Uh, shortly thereafter, Gronk uh, tweeted out, you think it, that option pickup basically equals pay cut the next four seasons. I don't work for those reasons. So there you go. Somebody probably not happy about that as well. So DeAndre Hopkins, big story out of Houston, the Texans star receiver in his fourth year um, of the rookie deal. He's clearly outperformed his paycheck this season. Hopkins is set to earn just under $1.5 million, including his roster bonus. Um, so jump change for a receiver who basically was the offense for a division champ uh, in the whole year. So the Texans circled through the bottom and with four different starting quarterbacks last season. So, you know, no consistency and still a productive player. So I guess, you know, you have to, you know, figure out he wants to get his just due. So uh, J.J. Got, JJ Watt got a new deal with time left on his rookie contract. Hopkins will, too, uh, if they won't mess around and pay him 2017 under the $7.9 million cap option. So uh, it would obviously it doesn't benefit him. Hopkins makes more money on the market every game if he plays. So we'll see how that turns out there. Tyrod Taylor, the quarterback in Buffalo, that's going to stay consistent here. Uh, he applauded the Bills for not giving Taylor a new deal in the offseason. Um, they shouldn't uh, do it now. Uh, Taylor was pretty good last year, but he's hardly a sure thing. So question, questionable things up in Buffalo. Uh, Michael Bennett, the versatile third-year reluctant, um, reported did not report to camp shortly after expressing displeasure for the second straight offseason with his current contract situation. Um, so, you know, his quote is, if you don't think I'm valuable, then just get rid of me. Um, so ben, if, uh, Bennett is in his year three of his four-year $32 million deal. So it turns 31 in November and has a 10-sack season. So um, we got a lot of stuff going on, including Joey Boza out of San Diego, uh, which is officially a mess. So you can, like I said, you can probably read up on that as well. So it's, you know, a lot of people are going to be in, involved with that. But uh, let's, let's bring on um, – into the Huddle, sponsored by Zazzle.com. You can get all the gear for our project at No Joke Football Project on Zazzle.com forward slash create iron beauties. We're going to bring in to the huddle uh, the talented and MVP of the DC Divas, uh, Kenjetta Grisby. Uh, Kenjetta, are you on? Yes, I'm here. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for making the time. I really appreciate it. Um, kind of going solo today, so you'll have to bear with me with some notes and stuff like that. Um, okay. So welcome to uh, the the Blitz and congratulations on your back-to-back championship 
and your MVP honors. Um, so tell us a little bit about the experience this year. Uh, you guys started beginning of the year. You fell to the elite. And then all of a sudden, you know, you guys mustered through, uh, took care of Boston, went through Chicago. Uh, I mean, just just a total team effort at the end there. And then at the uh, at the championship, kind of a nail biter as well. So tell us a little bit about that, the season beginnings, and then as we get as we got into obviously Pittsburgh. This whole season has been a big roller coaster ride. We started out with a lot of injuries. We're missing a few players at the beginning of the season. Um, most of the games we played, it rained or it was cold. It's not an excuse, but that's how it started. Um, Dallas just played a good game the first game. Um, we made a lot of mistakes, and they just beat us. Uh, that put it really uh, eye-opener. That game was really an eye-opener from that. From then, we went on to play Boston. Boston was a pretty close game. I think we came back and won with, like, a minute and something left with a, a touchdown pass. So, um, through that, we just ended up winning all our games from there. Going to Pittsburgh came to us. We ended up winning against Pittsburgh. Um, to the title game, uh, Dallas always a good competitor. We played our hearts out. Offense started out a little shaky, but we ended up and came out with the win. Defense really uh, played a good game against, against Dallas in the championship game. Congetta, this is like a, a kind of common now for you guys to, you know, to two years in a row, uh, you know, you versus Dallas, and then coming down to literally the fourth quarter. What, what was your feeling before the half? Because it was a, kind of a tale of two halves. They kind of started out pretty well, and then all of a sudden you guys sort of picked up the pace before the halftime and then kind of took it into the third quarter on an even scale, and then here come the fourth quarter. What was your feeling right right before the half? Um, right before the half, uh, I guess we scored. We were down, what, uh, 0 to 12 with two minutes left in the half, with two minutes left in the first half. Right. Um, offense was really struggling the first half. We couldn't get it together with the miscommunication problems with the O-line, the fullbacks, the running back, just everybody. We just couldn't get it get, get together. We made a lot of mistakes. Um, defense held it together. We ended up having a good run, scoring, and offense came down and got the kickoff return and got a good field position, and we ended up scoring there. Um, going in there, we just knew we had to keep the momentum. Uh, coaches talked to offense, the offensive line, everybody. We got it together, and we just came out the next half just trying to do better. Now, in the third quarter, it was pretty much even keel for both sides. Um, you know, obviously, they got weapons, you know, Burson, um, Burson and uh, Jenkins, and then obviously Gerthard plays pretty well. Um, so, in the third quarter, did you get the feeling now that something was shifting? You guys were playing a little better in, in that regard in terms of continuity on the offense because it looked like you guys picked up the game pretty much in the third quarter. You started out pretty well. Yeah, when we practiced, we practiced really trying to get the ball running outside. Um, defense came out. They came out the same defense, but they were giving us inside runs. So we just had to adjust that and start going more to inside, inside the tackles instead of trying to get outside. Um, like the athlete got injured during the game. She played the game with a broken foot. Going into the third quarter, I separated my shoulder. So um, we just had to dig deep, and other people had to step up. Katrina Wilson stepped up, started making some big catches. Um, Allie started making the right audibles once we got to the line of scrimmage. So that's what happened. Now, in your, in your game, based on limitation that you're, that you're uh, telling us here, uh, coming into the fourth quarter, it just looked like um, they were somewhat still in control, but you guys pretty pretty much stepped up uh, in that fourth quarter. Uh, trying to, I think it was you guys were down like twenty to twenty six to, I think twenty six to twenty in that in that starting of the quarter. So, uh, what was the mindset there at this point? You're down by six. 
and you still had ample time, but uh, was that to just keep trekking away? Yeah, the, the, the goal was to just keep running the ball to run some clock off the time just in case the did score so they wouldn't get the ball back. Um, I think we got the ball back with, what, like four minutes left? Um, I think we ran the ball majority of the field, probably one pass in play. So that was the plan, just to try to run off the clock and get the score. And it ended up working in our in our advantage, so. Now, the, who was key for you in, in – I saw some blocking. Uh, who's some of the key players for you during that, that fourth quarter that you can attribute at this point to help you guys punch that in at the end there? Um, Okima Pickett, Jennifer Gray, the whole old line. Everybody contributed, but I have to point out Okima Pickett and Jennifer Gray. They did an awesome, awesome job blocking. Jennifer Gray plays uh, fullback and on the O-line. Um, she helped Allie get that two-point conversion at the end where we missed the kick initially and then got it called back. So she helped Allie get in the end zone for the, to make it 28-26. So I got to give a lot of credit to not just the O-line, but Jennifer Gray and Okima Pickett. And I, I heard some of the receivers when we were watching the game, as you're uh, alluding to injuries here, I heard some of the receivers. Who was some of the receivers that obviously had some injuries there during the game that, uh, you know, obviously crucial pieces um, to to your offense? Uh, Ashley Wizenot, she's a, a very crucial piece to the offense. She got injured in the first quarter. Um, Katrina Wilson was fine. So it was just basically Ashley Wizenot. She had a foot injury right in the first quarter. I think she stepped on somebody's foot. And I don't know if she had a sprain or a broken foot, but she was injured mostly the whole game. So they wrapped her up, and she went back out there like a soldier and came up with some big plays towards the end of the game. Now, you got, Hamlin's always uh, very formidable to, you know, for any offense to play, and she showed it all through the year. Um, and then at, at this point in this game, um, you know, what's, what, how did you feel about the offense in terms of, you know, coming into the game against Dallas? You guys had met them before. Uh, but, you know, you guys knew that this was going to be a dogfight, right? Yeah, we knew it was going to be a dogfight. Um, we prepared to throw a little bit more than run. Um, we know we have some good receivers. It's hard to match up with our receivers. We got three good receivers out there that it's hard to match up with. So that was the game plan coming in. Ashley got hurt, it threw the game plan off a little bit. So we went more to the running game. Defense, uh, Dallas has a very, very good run defense, so we knew it was going to be hard to run against them. But, um, we ended up getting a few yards. The O-line, like I said, the O-line stepped up and started getting together and blocking well. So, I mean, the game plan didn't go as we planned, but what we did worked. So we just went with that. Now, that when you guys punched it in at the end, uh, Conjeta, was that like sigh of relief for you at this point? You knew you guys were like right there two points over. And, I mean, what was the reaction then in the, on the sideline? Not really a sigh of relief because we still have time left on the clock, and we know Dallas has an explosive offense, and they can come down and score at any time. So, I mean, it was it it felt good to get the two points ahead, but it still was not a relief, though. We knew they could come down and score. So, defense held it together after um, we got the interception at the end of the game. It felt good. That was a sigh of relief then when we got the interception at the end of the game. Now, I know, you know, coming into the game, uh, you guys had the, you know, the the target on your backs. Uh, is was this year any different for you? I know last year was kind of a roller coaster ride, and you guys made it all through, and then obviously beat them. Uh, you know, for under was it four points or whatever. But was it tougher this year for you, in, in your perspective, to get back to the game after after accomplishing the first the first championship? Yeah, it's always tougher. We didn't have the same people coming back, um, injuries. Uh, us being uh, this year, actually, we were actually the underdog coming in. Everybody thought Boston was just gonna were gonna beat us badly in the championship game, I think. And we came in as the underdog. It felt good. 
Um, we came in and played a good game, so it was no different. It's, I mean, it's all good either way. What was what was the highlight of your if you had to put a game in highlight? What is the best game in the season? I mean, it doesn't have to be the championship, but what what did you uh, what you think would be your best game in this this campaign this year? Um, I guess I think our best game was the, our uh, our second game of the season against Boston. Um, it was a nail biter. It came down to the end, and it was a it was a overall team win. Everybody had to dig hard and dig deep to win that game. And Boston is always a good rival, so I I say that would have to be the the best game throughout the season. Now at the Y Bowl, pretty big event. Uh, it's it's I think it was very nicely done by the WFA. Um, I don't know if you know you'll agree with me or not, but it sort of runs off your tongue a lot more smoother when you say this is this is the Y Bowl championship versus the WFA national championship. Do you have any feelings mm-hmm. on that in terms of the the renaming of the championship? No, I thought it was a, it was good publicity. I think it was a good name for the ball. Um, it's, I don't feel any type of way about either one. Both of them are good. As long as we're in the championship game, it really doesn't matter what you call it. So. Now, all all season long, you guys trucked away. Very excited. Uh, everybody was excited to see if you guys were going to be like knocked off. I mean, every every week, I think everybody had that inclination of who's going to knock you down, whether it be Pittsburgh, Boston, Chicago. Um, but durability for you guys has just been awesome, and even winning close games was even better. So from a fan's perspective, uh, we, we would have to thank you for all the exci- exciting plays this season, and obviously your teammates as well included. So uh, did you feel like, uh, you know, your fans, uh, did, did you get feedback from them from the season? Because obviously you had close close games and also, you know, blowout games, I would say, but for the most part, mostly close games. So did you – Get any any feedback from the fans? Um, just the fans. Like I said, most of our games we had rain and bad weather, and they still came out to support us. They knew we we had another chance to win in another championship, and regardless of the weather, regardless of who we playing, they came out to support us. It feels good. Um, we had a good show showing in Pittsburgh. Also, our fans seem to follow us everywhere. We appreciate it. Um, the comments on our Facebook page, the comments on our Instagram page, it feels it just feels good. So, I love our fans. Now, Kenjeta, uh, the always the word is: uh, Are you coming back? Uh, do we have more more uh, fuel left? Uh, you've won two championships. Uh, I know. Just tell the tell the fans how long you've been playing for in the game in terms of you know, not just for the divas, but in general, just women's gridiron. And all of a sudden, now you have two championships back to back. So tell us a little bit about you know when you started and how you've gotten to this level. And and now the you know are you moving forward or are you is there any changes in your mindset in terms of since you've accomplished pretty much uh, the end goal, which is two championships? Um, I started back in 2004 with the uh, Baltimore Burn. Um, I ended up going to the Baltimore Nighthawks. I took off a couple years in, in between there. In 2010, I decided to play for the D.C. Divas. So this is my seventh season with the Divas. Um, it's been great. Uh, do I plan on coming back next year? I don't know. A three-peat would be nice, but uh, Father Time is catching up with me. I still think I have something, something left in the tank, but I don't know. It just takes a toll on my body and stuff like that. So we'll have to see. We'll have to see what other players are coming back. But um, uh, what twelve years? I have twelve year career. So I think I don't. I don't have a lot to accomplish anymore in my career. I think I've accomplished a lot. So we'll just have to see. It's a lot to think about. So we'll see. Well, I would. I would have loved to give you a sort of a, what do you call that? NFL training camp money. 
but uh, that's not going to be in the foreseeable future anymore. <laughs> All these guys, I, I laugh. I laugh because these guys are complaining because they're not getting seventy-four, seven-four million dollars <laughs> in a restructured right. contract. And, I, and when you equate it to that, you're like, uh, "What are you doing? <laughs> I can't eat on that on that salary." Wow. Um, but you know, reality is is that, and, and in the women's game. But do you feel like? Uh, you know, we had great things happen this year in terms of the women's game. Um, we had, you know, the World Games down in, in, in New Orleans. Uh, you know, Sam Rappaport getting promoted in, in the NFL realm of, uh, of things now. Jen Welker last year, uh, you know, obviously and she's still flying the flag in terms of, you know, involved with the NFL, plays 360. Uh, we have a lot of coaches. You know, uh, you're a coach in general, um, Mrs. Fisher, who's won two championships. Um, so there's a lot of accomplishments in terms of the game, but individuality, and a lot of players are going into coaching. So do you feel that's your next level, maybe to coaching? Um, maybe I thought about coaching, maybe starting out in high school, um, but we'll have to see. Right now, um, I'm just focusing on my my, per, my professional job right now. So maybe coaching, I'll see. Maybe I'll come back and help the Divas if I don't play next year. Um, it may be in my near future, so we'll see. Awesome. So. Um, Pittsburgh was it was it really an, uh, like an awe event because we saw three championships. You also saw this uh, Zydeco winning it in a close game, um, and then you also had uh, Taylor, who we're going to have on here in about a couple minutes here. But uh, you also saw St. Louis Slam taking on um, the Inferno. Did you get to see any other game before your game? I did not. We didn't get to watch any games. Everything was focused on our game and football before. We had team meetings, team breakfast, and stuff like that. So I didn't get to see any any games at all. Um, they updated on, on scores throughout throughout our meetings and stuff like that. But I didn't really get to enjoy the weekend till after till after our game, and then it was on after that. <laughs> How was it meeting uh, Franco Harris? Did you uh, get to meet him um, after, or just just the during the presentation? Um, I got to meet him after. That was actually my my second time meeting him. I got to meet him at a, they had a all-star weekend down in Pittsburgh before. So that was actually my second time meeting him. Um, he had some kind words to say to me about my game and just the Divas overall. So it was always good to hear that coming from an all-star like him. So it felt good. Okay. So, you know, um, I wanted to bring you on because we had a um, Keisha Cox last week, and I wanted to give you props on the radio and, and have the fans <laughs> really dive into you and stuff. And, and, you know, an amazing season you guys had with the Divas. And also, you know, taking care of not just the Divas, uh, I mean, uh, the Elite once, but twice. And th the whole season was such an amazing season. So, I mean, uh, we can't say enough. The organization, uh, there was an allegation this week about how there was an eligible player and things like that. So I don't know if you can, you know, speak to that. The league has spoken and said there was no, uh, obviously, no infraction made on it. But there's apparently somebody out there trying to, you know, stir up the pot or whatever. So do you have any thoughts on that? Um, just uh, people always try to stir up the pot. And make um, when so when people don't want to see you win, they try to make up stuff like that. And then people have their own motives behind the things. I don't know what exactly his motive was or any other body involved motive was, but um, we know we didn't cheat. We know our players, all our players, been on the field or with us all season. And that's all I have to say. I just want to acknowledge it. Yeah, and I think I thought that was kind of uh, I don't know I wouldn't call it shady, but I guess you can call it shady. The fact that um, I guess he's an agent for one of the players, you know, in Dallas, 
and I would have thought, you know, uh, I've never heard anything, uh, you know, I basically messaged, I think, Rich at, uh, once mm-hmm. I came out just to validate to, to see if there was any issues with it. But uh, it just seems to me like that was kind of petty in that sense to bring it up now in, in, in the game. And, and given it, it has no real merit. I mean, mm-hmm. I, why would you cheat at this point, you know, going into a championship game? <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah. uh, unless you were really destitute on roster or something like that, which even that's even worse to cheat that way. Because, but uh, I mean, I just it just seemed like it was really um, kind of bad for Josh. Uh, I think his name is Josh King. Kind of bad for Josh yeah. King to bring that up, and then he's still he's still claiming that obviously he has some goods uh, to disclose. So I I just I don't know. It just to me it was just bad bad uh, yeah, you know agency if that's what they call it. I don't know what his motive was or what he had in mind. He claims to support women's football, but to me he's trying to hurt it by doing that, giving false allegations that we're cheating. We we don't need to cheat. Um, we have good players all around. If somebody gets hurt, we have good players coming off the bench. So we don't need to cheat about cheat or do anything like that to win a game. And we didn't need to cheat. This is our second championship game. So I, I just don't I don't know his motive. So it's just confusing me in what he's trying to do or what he's trying to accomplish with this. So yeah, and the Divas are obviously responded in, in a professional way, and, and they've done everything fat-checked, you know, eligibility and everything, and the league validated that. So, um, Congetta, it's, you know, it's it's one of these things where you end the season. Um, are you getting ready for the couch for NFL? I mean, uh, what loyalty do you have in the in the NFL? I'm a New England Patriots fan, so um, my, my quarterback is going to be sitting out four games, it seems like, but I think we'll still have a winning record and possibly win a Super Bowl this year, so. <laughs> I, I can only say uh, one of my uh, co-hosts, uh, Erica Lynn, who's also a big-time Patriots fan, um, she would say, as as you tear us down, await our resurgence. So I'm assuming that's your mentality. <laughs> yes, pretty much. Yes, pretty much. So, I, I mean, they own the East. New England owns the East, so I don't think that's going to change whether Tom Brady's out for four games. I mean, you might – with uh, Belichick, you never know, you know, how smooth the offense goes. And even when it's been dire straits in the – you know, in in a couple seasons, he's always been able to rally the troops and, and put things together. So, um, I'm with you. I, I don't think it's going to hurt New England at all. No, I don't think it's going to hurt them at all. Bill Belichick will find a, find a way to win. We picked up some new – Get off-season picks with a new tight end, some more running backs and stuff like that. So the Patriots will be fine. Awesome. So thank you, uh, Congetta. Congratulations on your MVP honors uh, on the Divas back-to-back championships and uh, continued success off the field as well as on the field. And we'll be uh, looking forward to your return, if that's the case, for the thir- for the next uh, season in the WFA. So congratulations to you and your teammates as well as to the Diva fans out there. And uh, a great honor, two, two back-to-back championships. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, and thank you for being a supporter of women's football. Thank you. Have a safe travels out there. You're always welcome to come on if you need to uh, voice anything with your team, and uh, we always welcome you if, if needed. All right. Have a good night. Have a great one. Thank you. All right, that was uh, Kenjetta Grisby of the uh, back-to-back champion D.C. Divas of the Women's Football Alliance in the U.S., and uh, an amazing talent. And uh, like she said, she's going to evaluate her situation in terms of professionalism off the, off the field and what her situation there with her family. And looking forward to see if she's going to return for the Divas. Uh, they make a run for a third championship in 2017. 
So we wish everybody well there. And uh, she's obviously, you know, an amazing individual, uh, 12 seasons and two championships. So congratulations to her. So we're going to bring on board right now in the No Joke Football Huddle another talented individual uh, running back uh, from the St. Louis Slam of the uh, Tier 2 WFA champions. Uh, It's going to be Taylor Hay. So, Taylor, are you on? I am. How you doing, Taylor? Uh, thanks for making the time this afternoon. I know it's kind of a busy week for you, um, but I wanted to bring you on because I wanted to give you guys props as well. Uh, we we went through the whole thing about who won what, but the Slam um, has getting has been getting a lot of local press. So I thought it would only be fitting to bring you on board and kind of talk about what's going on with the Slam as well as yourself. Um, so, Taylor, uh, kind of a an exciting season from us as fans. You guys lose the first three, then you go on a little run, and then you completely take care of Katie Sowers and the Titans. And then right after that, you go into the uh, Weibull Tier 2 Championship and then take care of the Inferno, which nobody saw coming. So kind of tell us a little bit about the the season, how it began, the three hiccups, you know, the losses. Then, and then you know, the middle of the season, and then obviously at the end here with the championship. So kind of give us a little rundown on that first so the fans can kind of understand the journey. Uh, well, uh, we are probably about 50% rookie, uh, so that was a challenge. So going into games like Chicago and Kansas City early on is a little rough. The atmosphere is also – I mean, the Kansas City game was away, so going into an atmosphere um, – for rookies, maybe some that had never played um, organized contact sports, was, uh, it was hard for them. But uh, obviously we were able to pull it together, you know, moving forward in the season. And then, uh, as you can see, what, what we did to Kansas City at home. So I think that it was 100% a learning experience for everyone. Um, as veterans, I've always been a part of a team, especially in St. Louis, where the veterans have led the way. Um, and when I was a rookie, I had um, – kind of I was blessed to experience the whole football uh, experience with veterans that have played for you know nine ten years so it the transition was easy but for some of our rookies I mean there's only probably a handful of us that have about five six years under our belt and we have two that are are about 14 year vets so I think that it took a while for us to gel as a team. Uh, defensively, we were always pretty stout, uh, but offensively it took us a while to get our line together, to gel together. And, um, you know, we're all women, so some days are easier than others for us. And uh, personalities play a role. And I think that our coaches have a lot of patience, and they made sure that we were able to get the job done, whether no matter what was going on, you know, outside of football. Now, you know, the, the, the first game out, you guys just literally tore up Derby City, uh, Derby City. So I don't know if that was on them because they just didn't do it or was it on your defense? But uh, that was a very good opening statement in terms of a win, you know. And then the, the, tier, the tier one, tier two mix in the schedule, do you think that, that somehow benefited you guys because you guys were playing KC Chicago, uh, KC twice Chicago, Um, Do you think that hardened you guys a little bit better in terms of for the next level? 
Um, I do. I, I, I mean, we've been playing against KC for uh, in Chicago for many years since I've played. So uh, I'm used to games like that. Uh, and I do, like I said, I think it helped the rookies. But I have to be honest with you, um, I wouldn't say I was disappointed in the level of play against Tampa because I feel like maybe uh, – I, I don't – want to say they weren't prepared but it kind of felt that way when we saw them or maybe we were just prepared and on point you know but I do believe the team that makes the least amount of mistakes wins and we we played a very very good game but um I felt like playing like teams like Chicago and KC really give you uh, an insight of what women's football is and it, it they don't even have to be a tier one team but playing the types of teams like Chicago and KCR, and it might be a geographic thing, um, but watching like Dallas and DC play in the championship, like those kinds of games, like really, really set the tone of what women's football is. Now taking six in a row, that's huge. And then you guys literally obliterated your competition uh, in the postseason. I mean, literally almost averaging 35 or 40 points a game. So tell us a little bit about that. I mean, Houston, I, I'm, I'll give you that. Houston probably wasn't even or shouldn't even been a, you know, on the map itself. But Sin City and Tampa uh, were two of the teams that we as fans were like, okay, uh, this is probably going to be very, you know, even keel with um, uh, versus St. Louis. And uh, it was not that way. So uh, defensive-wise, like you said, uh, they stepped up to allow only, uh, less than a touchdown in, in one of the games against uh, the Trojans. And then, only allow one touchdown, and I don't even think it was uh, a touchdown, right? It was like a return, a fumble return for yeah. a defensive score. Yeah, they they stripped the ball from me in the championship game, yep, uh, and they scored, so I owed everyone a drink. I, like I said, uh, all my defensive players, because they're like, you ruined our goose egg, but, you know, we made light of it. But, yeah, our defense, um, I honestly don't think that they get enough recognition. Like, everyone on our defensive uh, formation is, is it's, we call it the pit bull defense because you know they're fast and they're athletic and it is crazy to watch them play because it's almost like you want to go out there as an offensive player so you can get your reps but you almost want to just keep watching your defense because they're so good and we are prepared our coaches like I said prepare us our coaches are film junkies we watch film you know two to three times a week for hours and we know our opponent and sometimes, you know, I think maybe one time this season we showed up to a game where our opponent showed us, you know, something different than what we had seen on film and our coaches fixed it quick, you know. And so I think that it really, really comes down to being disciplined and being organized and being prepared. And in the postseason, our coaches told us, like, you know, rings are yours to lose. So you put in the work and you put in the time and the effort and you make the least amount of mistakes, you'll have a ring. And we did it. Now let's let's talk about the real core here because not not taking away anything from you offensively and Jamie offensively, mm-hmm. but you're you're naming a lot. You're lay, you're we're laying on the defensive foundation. So uh, we got to throw out some names here: Jelani Kelly, uh, Brooklyn Baston, Kelly Nurcherson, uh, Raven Williams. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of those players because that this is if if you're going to equate it as the win of it all. I mean, it just shows on the on the score sheet that it was this type of defense that kept you in games as well as the opponent, you know, getting them shut down and the postseason, they really own it. And given the fact that the, you know, the fumble recovery was for a defensive score, uh, they literally own the postseason. And so I was trying to go back on record as to what was the last time somebody did that. And 
I haven't had a chance to get with Neil yet, but overall, a very impressive run from Houston, Sin City, to Tampa Bay. Um, so tell us a little bit about these beasts that you're calling pit bulls. Um, well, they're um, probably some of the fastest players on our team. Um, Brooklyn and Raven in particular, they're our outside linebackers. Uh, so they obviously set the edge very well, but they are very, very fast. And um, Brooklyn, I know we in our last interview I mentioned she's maybe like a buck 25. Like she's real small, but she is powerful. And, you know, I also mentioned like you have to be a little off to play defense. So she has like this gleam in her eyes when she plays. And um, the same with the Raven. They just have one track, you know, and it's fast and it's hard. And that's pretty much it. And Jelani is a, the best kept secret, I feel like. She was our quarterback last year. But her heart lies in inside linebacker, and she hits people harder than um, I feel like some girl men do. And she is one of the nicest people, soft-spoken. And it's when you see her play and you don't know her, you're like, oh, she's such a beast. But then when you meet her, she's like the kindest person in the world. Um, but, yeah, I mean, our defense, uh, our secondary, Kaylee, uh, obviously I know we talked before, she's an athlete on both sides of the ball. She is does everything, and I know – some of the commentators um, well, during our Tampa Bay game, they were so impressed with the fact that she kicks and she does special teams and she plays offense and defense and she performs on all levels. And she, as soon as you take her out for maybe like a sub to talk to her, like our coaches, she's mad because she's missing a rep, you know? So she, they just all really honestly lay everything on the field for us. And I know offensively, you know, it did take us a while to get it together, but our defense never, ever, ever, look down on us like, you know, okay, we're the reason that we lost to Chicago or Kansas City. They just made sure that they picked us up when we were down. So that's another reason why, like, they're part of, you know, the big part of our team. Now you have, you know, offensively you had Raven also participate based on what I saw, but 71 and a half tackles, um, that's literally a license to kill in football. That's mm-hmm. a lot of tackles. And he's mm-hmm. based in on 53. So you can pretty much tell why the last three games <laughs> were literally a massacre in terms of a score sheet. So uh, I've got to give them, you know, hats off to all of them. Uh, the whole defensive line, I mean, I mean, they, they just, I don't know, just very impressive. I mean, uh, not just from a score sheet point, but when you look at the stats and you look at all the stats that, you know, if they're maintained, uh, very impressive. And tackles for loss, I think 13 for her as well as nine and a half. And then Alana Fields, uh, Jelani, Kelly as well, like you said. So just, uh, yeah, pit bull-like uh, mentality to the ball. That's, that's, that's such an amazing uh, core of people there. So, um, you know, we, we saw you guys at the beginning of the season, like I said, as fans, and we were thinking this is going to be, you know, just, you know, no big deal. But then when we started to see Kansas City, um, I talked to some people, second game in, you guys lost by 10. In, in week two uh, to the Titans. And then the week after, you guys got, you know, pretty much obliterated by Chicago. But then, mm-hmm. you know, the rebound was so impressive. The rebound was more impressive. Not that you didn't play so well against those two, but reality was, you know, when you, once you went to Indy, uh, you can start to see uh, the defensive mindset take over, as you said, because then, you know, you were holding opponents – literally under six points, which is very impressive. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know that we had some doubts as, like, you know, players, and um, we would discuss things 
like, you know, doing team outings, trying to bond, like, you know, we wanted to fix whatever the issue was and we weren't sure whether, you know, it was just, okay, two tough losses and we'll make it through or, you know, is this going to be the outcome of our entire season or we wanted to make it work. So we were hanging out with each other outside of practice. We were, we were really trying to make it work because we all wanted the same thing and having a lot of rookies is tough. Like I said, and playing in games like Chicago and Kansas city early on is really rough, you know, and to experience an, a loss and then also probably get hit really hard <laughs> is not that easy for rookies. And so I think that, it ended up being a learning experience and, and a great learning experience. And we ended up coming up, uh, coming out on top, but um, for a while there, it was kind of dark and gloomy, but you know, uh, that's my favorite part of being a part of a team is that you don't have to do the bad stuff alone. Like you get to stand side by side by the people you refer to as your family. And, and sometimes you win and sometimes you lose, but um, even when you lose, if you know, you have people that stand behind you, it, it, it makes the season a little bit more exciting and more memorable. And that's what it was. I mean, if you start, if you look back at your season at this point, like I said, you know, running the, running the table primarily uh, the last couple six weeks. Um, I mean, that's just an impressive record that you that you guys just put together. So, coaching wise, I mean, tell us a little bit about the coaching, their names. Uh, you know, some of the people that obviously you you're giving credit here on the air right now. So we need to talk about them then because uh, on the defensive front, whatever they're doing they're creating some amazing athletes that are obviously understanding the game and they're holding opponents to literally, uh, you know, under six points. So tell us a little bit about the coaching staff. Well, um, our head coach, who is also the defensive coordinator, is uh, Quincy Davis, and he has been coaching since I've been playing. And then I know the championship in 2009, he was also the head coach. But he is um, – is wonderful. He's just, I mean, we appreciate everything. Um, he coaches high school boys. And so I know there are a lot of things that he experiences with us. Um, some good and some bad that he doesn't have to deal with, with the boys, you know? So I know that some days teaching football is a lot harder than it should be, but he never ever makes us feel like, you know, he second guesses doing this, you know, and he is, the one of the film junkies like I mentioned before and we he could watch film for hours on end and he sends us you know Monday emails motivational um YouTube videos to remind us of like why we do this you know uh look ahead of what's for the week and what we have to accomplish and what we need to do in order to beat you know the next team and you know, he has a counterpart, which is Rodney Lacey. He's the offensive coordinator. And we actually, um, we do have a strength and conditioning coach, but when it comes to actual, like, the football part of it, we, we really only have two coaches. And I know that's really unheard of, uh, but it, it is hard to find coaches that will want volunteer their time, uh, and, and especially in St. Louis. I'm not sure why that is, but it, it's I've seen that, and I know other teams always have, like, a handful, about five or six maybe up to ten coaches. Uh, well, we don't have that, and – Sometimes you, you want to think, okay, is that a downfall? But for us, it's not. Uh, at practice, we divide the way we need to. Um, we have to be more disciplined because sometimes our coaches can't attend to every need because we only have two. Uh, but Rodney and Q work well together. They've been coaching together for over 10 years, uh, and they actually coach at rival high school. So it's kind of fun for them to get together during our season because, you know, during the off season they have to be uh, rivals against each other. But uh, they're both – their football intelligence is off the scale and they teach us so much and they dumb it down at the beginning of the season so that people who don't know football can learn it 
quickly and learn all the things they need to uh, without all the extra stuff. And then they almost, we almost surprise them at the end of the season when we're, we're calling plays or we're asking to do certain plays or we want trick plays or money plays as we call them. And they're like, they like to sit back and look, you know, at what they've created pretty much. Like we've gone from people who don't even know, you know, any rules of football to wanting, you know, money plays and calling plays and suggesting things at practice or, you know, so them watching us grow as um, athletes is probably why they do it. But uh, we appreciate everything they do for us. Now, Taylor, uh, the, the season, the reset, uh, you know, recruiting and all that, I mean, uh, tell us a little bit about the difficulties there because you guys took a season off and all of a sudden you guys come back in and, and such an impressive fashion. So, you know, you got to give credit to, like you said, a lot of people committing to doing a, the good thing and putting up for the team and everything else. But how is the recruiting basis now? I mean, is it going to be easier for you to say, you know, here's, you know, a two-time champion organization? Uh, you know, can you speak to that at this point or – Oh, yeah, I I totally think it's going to help. I know, you know, that you mentioned um, in the beginning of the interview, uh, the amount of press that we're receiving, you know, I have a couple of teammates who have reached out to local agencies and news agencies and newspaper um, facilities to find out if they would be able to cover us. And they're already asking like, you know, when are tryouts, we want to, you know, follow you guys to next season. We want to make sure that we're, we're getting stuff on the air and in the papers for when tryouts are so we can help get people, you know, to your games and to tryouts and things like that. And I think it's more so, Um, you know, the Rams aren't here anymore. And so we're the only football team, quote unquote, um, professional. I know there's some semi-pro men's team, but, um, and so I know that they are helping us with the recruiting process, but I also think uh, us as players, we have to continue to keep football in our life, even though it's the, you know, off season, you know, some of us play flag and we can recruit there. But I think, you know, just like this weekend, I went on a float trip and I saw this girl who could potentially be like an offensive tackle. Of course, I went up to her and I was like, hey, so do you play sports or are you interested in playing sports? And she kind of thought I was crazy. But I was like, well, I'm going to add you on Facebook and send you some information about football. She's like, oh, I actually played football in high school. I'm like, oh, perfect. So just doing little things like that, as awkward as it may seem, can help build the organization because eventually, like, players like me and a couple other people have been playing for a few years now, five, six years. I mean, we have to retire eventually, even though we don't want to. Um, You know, so there has to be a future in St. Louis, and we can't let it die down like it did before. Now, was it logistics before when it died down, or was it just the fact that there wasn't enough interest? Not enough interest. Uh, financially, we are going – like now we're a 501c3 and we weren't before. So I know that transition was uh, not as smooth as we expected it to be. And, yeah, interest. Uh, we only had one coach at the time, Coach Q, Quincy. And then the amount of players was probably maybe 20 to start the season. And I don't know if you know anything about that, but when you start a season, uh, you you usually lose about – 10 when you start hitting uh and then when games start coming yeah when games start coming along you lose a couple more so starting with a roster 20 is not good and the year before we had played actually the dallas diamonds i think at home and that was when they were the diamonds and we probably played them with 17 people so i think coach q wanted to make sure that it was going to be worth it and he didn't want to waste our time and he also didn't want anyone getting hurt 
So that's when he made the decision or what we kind of voted as a team. Like, you know, this, this has been a smart move. Let's take a year off. Let's recruit. Let's, you know, do some fundraisers and get the word out there. And now that we're a 501c3, it's a lot easier to get people to donate money, especially in large, you know, lump sums. So I think that has helped a whole lot. Have you guys, uh, uh, Taylor, have you guys reached out to the Rams in this, in this capacity with, their charitable community works and stuff like that. I sent out a letter to one of the people that I know, uh, you know, because I'm a big Rams fan, if you didn't know. but um, Oh, I didn't know. But I sent out a letter. Yeah, I sent out a letter to one of my contacts uh, letting them know about, you know, the success and the championship this season and how uh, – see if they could probably do something, you know, in terms of, you know, just getting uh, a shout-out or something like that during the season and stuff. So um, I haven't heard back from that individual, but I will keep – you know, pressing for that. But uh, overall, I mean, um, have you guys tried to contact them in terms of just trying to keep something community-based wise in, you know, like Jen's, Jen works with the uh, Play 360, and I know uh, the Katie sisters do as well. So is there something maybe you guys can, you know, dive into that? I mean, you have Jen to call on, and you probably have uh, Katie as well um, to kind of work with, and I think that would be a great thing to do especially right now, like you said, there's no more team there, but you can still keep the, the NFL flag umbrella um, in that regard. So it might be something to think about. Uh, yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for reaching out. That's awesome. Um, but we did do an event uh, about a month ago um, and it was an NFL 360 event uh, with a community in St. Louis. And it was um, in a community that actually used to work with the Rams. So we have a teammate who somehow has a connection with the woman who's in charge. And so we were able to do something with them and she was um, letting us know that, you know, anytime we want to do anything that she would be willing to have us. And we told her, you know, you let us know and we're there, you know? And so we're trying to do a whole bunch of things like that. Like we're doing a backpack giveaway event and actually next week with um, a Corey Johnson foundation. And we've been trying to get with, um, different like boys and girls clubs to work with them and more so giving back just because, you know, that's what women's football is about. At least I feel that way, you know, breaking barriers and building a foundation, uh, especially for girls who maybe didn't grow up with the opportunity to play football. And so we want to create all kinds of environments uh, for kids, you know, especially that to let them know that, you know, like we're here to support our community, you know, so our community can support us. And so I know that we also, um, are setting up like meet and greets where we can meet with different, you know, fans if they want to come meet us. I know there's some kids that, you know, want autographs and things like that. And I know it's not that it's not as big as an NFL setting, but it's still something that we can give back to our community and um, gain support moving forward. Now, have you guys reached out to the, uh, the other teams? Uh, I know there's a, a women's basketball team, a D league team, and then there's obviously the blues for probably the longest tenured, you know, franchise and the Cardinals and stuff like that. Have you guys reached out to any of those teams in a community-based thing, like just to get recognized, kind of like the Divas did? Yeah, actually we did. Um, We reached the same letter that we sent to uh, the the news and the newspaper um, communities. We sent also to the Cardinals and the Blues and – uh, we haven't heard anything back yet, but that doesn't mean, you know, anything. But I do know that, you know, the Divas and also um, the Force were recognized at a Cubs game. So we're trying to get that and 
we have a few people that have some connections, so we're trying to go that route if we can. Uh, but that would be great. That support would be great just because, I mean, well, I'm a Blues fan, so I would definitely be okay with that. Um, but I know that uh, we have a um, – uh, our general manager, she's been trying to reach out to a bunch of places to make sure. And I know that uh, Dave and Buster's, I don't know if you saw that on Facebook, but it's like a kind of like just like a, it's like a sports bar and then they have like games for kids and stuff, but they created a sports wall for like St. Louis teams and they put our name on it. So that was kind of cool. And so I think we're getting more press than we ever have in the past. So I think that's helping. Taylor, what's the role now for you, mindset-wise? I know you've, you know, you've participated at the World Games. You, now you're, you know, you're part. You've been part of this organization for a while. So I always, you know, ask the player. You know, the next stage is really where we're at right now. So are you going to stay somehow communicated to the team at this point? Are you going to go into coaching? Um, I mean, I, I know you have obviously your own thing going on offside. You know, your regular work and stuff like that. But is, is it something that you're going to? you know, upon retirement, as they say, uh, are you looking to stay connected in that sense? Oh, yes. Um, I know I told my mom that once we won a ring that I would retire, but I lied. So I'm probably going to play a few more years, like one more for sure, but uh, pending, you know, health. But I would love to stay connected. I know a few players that have attempted to stay connected. They feel the urge to play, so they never actually fully coach. They end up playing. So that will probably be me too. But um, I would love to stay, you know, connected to the slam, continue giving back to what it has given me. So I know that this is probably the first year that there's been another running back uh, in the last, like, four four years, I'd say, that I've actually had to, like, I would say, quote-unquote, share my reps with. But it was – a blessing almost because eventually I do have to retire and eventually there has to be another person that is going to be able to do the same thing, you know, and she's actually, we're actually entirely two entirely different backs, but she is, I would definitely say more athletic and she's faster, but she is a rookie. So she has a lot to learn, but she it's promising. And so I'm happy that, you know, she was able to join the team so I can feel more comfortable and know that, like, okay, the older I get, the harder it is on my body. Like, I'm going to have to eventually give it up. But um, I'm happy to know that there's other people that are going to be able to continue to keep the team going. Now, in terms of physical capabilities for you, I mean, are you doing anything special there or routine-wise? I know people mix in CrossFit with other types of, uh, you know, uh, gym gym aspects of it. So what what kind of things are you doing to kind of stay in that uh, healthy state, as they say? Uh, well, uh, we play flag football, and actually that practice starts this week. So that's usually a couple of months long. It's every Saturday, and then we practice during the week. So I entertain the idea of doing like a fitness competition. It just depends on my work schedule is going to allow it because, you know, you have to be pretty dedicated and so I'm going to try to sketch that out on a schedule and see if I'm able to, to pull that one off. But other than that, just I, I'm not really a CrossFit person. Um, I, it's just not for me, but I know a lot of my teammates do that. But I just like the basic run, um, do a couple ab circuit, circuits, and play flag football So and take vitamins. <laughs> so, you know, career-wise, you've done well. Uh, you've, you've gone in a lot of places. Uh, you went to the World Games as well. So. Um, so is it complete at this point? If you decided like to take the next year and say, call it quits, has it been, you know, totally rewarding in this sense? Uh, you, you obviously have accomplished a lot. Um, and the team now has accomplished 
you know, two goals. And historically, uh, obviously, you guys are right there, um, if you haven't mentioned it to any of your sponsors. But historically, this franchise was the first franchise to win the original WFA, uh, you know, championship. And now you guys win the, obviously, the original Tier 2 championship. So in that sense, uh, pretty historic. Uh, yeah, that actually we did mention. We made sure we mentioned uh, those stats. But also, uh, I I want to say that I want to give it another another year for sure. And then after that, I'll probably reevaluate how I feel about it. But I honestly feel like I'm not sure how the tier systems will be set up next year. I'm not sure if we are able to move to tier one or if that's an option or anything like that. But um, if it is, I want to be there to witness that and try to give it another go. Now, uh, Taylor, everybody was kind of excited with the changes, you know, obviously the Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3. We've gotten everybody's intake. It's very positive. Um, Do you feel like this makes the sport grow? Because in my eyes, even though you're mixing in the schedule because of region and everything else, you're mixing in a schedule like your guys' schedule was, you know, Chicago and and Kansas City uh, as, you know, as a test, basically, uh, whether you're at that level or not. But it really, I think it should be dictated by roster. And if it makes it by roster, then it's more even in that sense. So if you can't maintain, you know, let's say a 40-plus roster, then maybe you go to Tier 3, you know, as an example. Um, So do you feel like maybe that should be the conversation at this point in terms of the actual roster being more of a factor? Because, I mean, even if if you play really good ball at Tier 1, but like you said, you get injuries through the season, you really have to – be realistic about the fact that if you start with 40, you technically will probably end up with maybe 21 or 25 and not mm-hmm. very competitive at that point. So do you feel like maybe that's a conversation in the off season this season? Uh, yes, I do. And I think even last year, I'm not sure if that was one of the stipulations of being in specific tiers, uh, but I, I believe it was like, you know, smaller roster sizes, uh, tier two and tier three. So, um, but you know, uh, there is a few teams in tier two that had a decent roster size, so I'm not sure. Um, and then I know that also, like we took that year off, so I'm not sure if that hindered it. Um, and then obviously whatever our coaches input and, you know, the league's input was for us, but I know I've read, you know, a couple articles that say like, okay, St. Louis could easily be a tier one team. And, um, sometimes, you know, at the beginning of the season, maybe not so much, but moving forward, um, yeah, I kind of think that, and, you know, Watching D.C. versus Dallas, uh, I think a lot of the rookies, they didn't feel intimidated. They just knew that playing in games like that, you you can't make mistakes. So as opposed to, like, you know, me getting stripped, perfect example, getting stripped of the ball in a championship game did not cost us the game. But in a game like a Tier 1 game, championship game, it will. So I think that if you're able to maintain that mentality of knowing that, you know, you have to be on your A game, there is no messing up. And if you do, it could cost you. Then I think that regardless of your, your 40 plus roster size, whatever 11 you have on the field, if they have that mentality, then it's a game. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the actual um, question. Um, and like I, I had to, you know, give hats off to uh, Lisa um, for making the changes and all that. I know it's kind of difficult because of region and, and obviously money and and everything else. But, uh, you know, the reality was uh, it was an exciting season for fans. I mean, I've been following the sport since 2009. So I can tell you right now, this, this year was probably the most exciting because of the fact that we had 
you know, uh, things on Periscope. We had things on Facebook Live. We had, uh, you know, obviously Twitter updates. Everybody uh, was doing better with their tweet, uh, t- Twitter accounts and stuff like that with giving, you know, p- play-by-play, if not giving at least updates and stuff like that. A lot of more resources to follow the game and be more interested and engaging. So I think that really helps out. And the fact that you have, you know, like you said to your point earlier, the fact that you have newspaper coverage now trying to be are, are kind of interested and in being more devoted to covering, um, you know, your team, that says a lot, you know, in terms of how we've come so far. Um, you know, like I said earlier, uh, Sam going into NFL, into the NFL realms of things now, more of a bonus and plus for the sport. You got Jen pretty much, you know, jet jetting everywhere uh, and, and representing women's, uh, you know, football in that sense as a name brand that she is. And so there's a lot of positives going forward in terms of that. And if the, if the WFA can elevate themselves into more of a prominent state in that sense with the think it works for a foundation, I think it works fundamentally because then it, the fundamentals are going to be increased. You know, you take a, you take a Zydeco squad that uh, maybe will never be tier two, but, you know, will be a tier three competitive f- field for it. Um, yourselves, like you said, analyze yourselves, whether you can maintain the roster to be tier one or whether you stay in tier two, but, but the option is there. And I think that's the, the, uh, the plus and the benefit for it to uh, give you kind of an outing. Um, if you are a tier two organization, then at that point, you just have to uh, understand that that's where you're at, but you're still going to be shooting for some sort of championship versus before, you know, there was one goal. And uh, if you're a different tier level, you never got an opportunity to really showcase uh, different, different levels of football. Now with this, I think you really showcase different levels of football and still reward somebody at the end. Uh, I agree. And I know when we spoke at the beginning of the season, you asked me my opinion on the tier system. And um, one of my favorite things about the tier system is that it allows, you know, like you said, it's not just one goal for two different teams, but, you know, six different teams. And they have a chance to, you know, showcase what they have and what they are and where they come from. And, and it allows you know, since there was an all-star weekend, of course, that it allows like our, you know, football family from across the country to witness us live, you know, to watch us play and to see, you know, all the work that we put into in a season, you know, they understand because they did the same. So to share that with them is kind of great too. And then to come home and have a championship and then it allows, you know, at all levels, you know, D1, D2, D3, and allows the the, the news stations to cover things like that because, you know, if we wouldn't have won a championship, who was to say that they would be just as excited to cover anything on us? You know what I mean? So I know I mentioned in my, my interview at the beginning of the season that it allows us for a chance for a better recruiting process because now people, I mean, who doesn't want to play for a quote-unquote championship team, you know? Exactly, and that's why I'm saying it. it's really a benefit. Um, I know we have, you know, a lot of obstacles still. I, I, I do a lot of marketing and I do a lot of, you know, stuff, and I've put in my two cents out there. I really think the next level is, a, is an independent committee, aside from the league, where I think the funding has got to be the next issue uh, in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, elevating the sport. And what I mean by that is, you know, every team in the WFA uh, at the beginning of the year, let's say it's a $5,000 pool, for example, or an entry fee of some sort, you get to a stage where, uh, to make it easier for the for the six teams that are going to make it to the final, you know, to the final, to make it to the final, um, I think it should be allocated some sort of percentage off of that. You know what I mean? A, a, yeah. a $300 okay. allocation from every team, it goes into some sort of pool. 
just to help. It doesn't mean that you won't still have to fundraise, but at least mm-hmm. it's it's sort of like, okay, if we get to be, you know, the, the in the final four, for example, uh, if we get to the final four, the final two are obviously going to get a leg up. You know what I mean? They're going to get some sort of, at least for flight, uh, flight as an example, or for travel, you know, the closer you are to the uh, championship venue, obviously it's going to be less money needed versus somebody that has to, you know, come from Louisiana like the Zydeco, um, right. which obviously is a little bit more costly. So I think that's the next step in women's football is to make it more structured in that sense. So uh, even at the end, you know, you get to, you get to the championship, at least uh, you can know that you're, you're going to be rewarded in some format in terms of dollar amounts. Um, and it only benefits all teams. If you stay within the NFL umbrella of 32 teams, participating in a money pool, that's really what the, the WFA or the IWFL needs to do is they, they really need to take a percent of that, a small percent, so it doesn't hurt every team. But at the same time, it's something that goes into a bonus pool with an, maybe an independent trust so that you don't have the uh, ownership of the leagues, you know, being questioned on it, or you can actually draw it out from some sort of trust for that purpose only. And I think going forward, that would benefit because, now everybody strives for that. They're going to go, okay, if we get to the, be the final two, it's, uh, to get there, it's going to be more exciting, but we're still going to have to do our part, but we, we're going to get a leg up either on travel, we're going to get a leg, a leg up maybe on hotel accommod, accommodations and stuff like that. So I think that's the next conversation that needs to be brought forward is, you know, how do we take this uh, excitement and then continue to build on it and keep it exciting? Um, so it, it's, it's great. Social media is going to help out a lot, and it's already done it. So just a matter of uh, individual teams taking care of, you know, like you said, roster size being a key, retention being another key. And so those are the two factors, obviously, that play, go into play with that. Oh, yeah, I agree. And like you said, like, I think this will, if, if as long as we don't allow the the thrive uh, thriving atmosphere die, then this will definitely be an elevation for the league and for, you know, the football, women's football community. So, Taylor, uh, thank you for, for making the time. I wish you well. Stay healthy. Uh, I will be uh, in contact with you with the uh, project information and stuff like that as we get through it. Um, we've committed to Australia for the next uh, couple months, so uh, tight budget, as they say, in all worlds. But um, we're going we're gonna to st- uh, stay the force. Everybody's on a list, on a wish list. So uh, you're one of the, uh, obviously, talented individuals with that. So I really appreciate you uh, making the time and helping our project out as well. And uh, congratulations to you, to your teammates, to the Pitbull defense. Um, you know, hats off to them for an amazing season, uh, six-game run. Um, I just, you know, uh, you can't uh, underestimate. So if any, if any of those girls have a huddle account, I would strongly recommend have them get a huddle because uh, based on your, uh, you know, your uh, nickname for them, they, they should have a huddle. <laughs> Uh, that way we can see the awesomeness you, uh, that comes out of every play. All, I'll have to make you a clip of all of them, uh, like a little YouTube video. Yeah, I think something. that would be great because then yeah. we can showcase it, you know, and everybody uh, watches it because, um, you know, they, they did amazing. Six weeks out, uh, six games, and not allowing a score. Uh, and even on the end, uh, you know, not allowing a score there too. So very impressive. And uh, so shouts out to all of them, including yourself. Successful season. I'll uh, uh, look forward to, uh, if I hear anything from my contact at the Rams, I'll uh, direct message you on any information that I have or who to get a hold of and then go forward okay. there. But uh, congratulations again, and thank you for making the time, and I really appreciate it. 
No, thank you for all you do for for women's football. I love it. Thank you. Thanks, Taylor. Have a safe ride home and enjoy uh, your championship, and we'll look forward to another chat. All right. Thank you. Bye. All right, so uh, that was Taylor Hay from the St. Louis Slam, the WFA Tier 2 champions in the w, uh, championship. So uh, she's uh, obviously very impressive. Her defense, outstanding. Uh, so we can't say enough about the defense. So uh, hats off to the Slam Pitbull defense for their amazing six-game run in the uh, the WFA Tier 2 championship run. So let's go into the huddle, and we're going to talk to Darren Steinke from the WWCFL and the Realms out there, so uh, from Thank Sports on Twitter. Uh, Darren, are you on? Hi, guys. How's it going? I'm doing good. Hello. Darren, how are you doing to, uh, this evening? I'm doing pretty good. So, uh, yeah, it was a pretty fun weekend uh, out here up in Saskatchewan. So, of course, uh, yeah, it was, as you guys know, of course, I jetted down to Regina for Football Canada's inaugural senior women's national championship tournament. So, and uh, yeah, it was, she was pretty good. Now, uh, Darren, we had talked about the elevation of play in terms mm-hmm. of the WWCFL, the MWFL, uh, and now uh, including the IWFL Blitz. Uh, which mm-hmm. made up the majority of the Quebec team, right? The Blitz was basically yeah, actually, they were mostly... the Quebec team. <laughs> That's what I'm was saying. The, <laughs> yeah, they were the yeah. All the members of the Blitz were all the kids. The whole Quebec team was made up of the the Montreal Blitz team. It was kind of one one of the reasons when I saw the gold medal game sh- uh, shape up like that, where Saskatchewan was going to be playing them. And I knew from talking to the Valkyries players that they said, yeah, the girls that play out of Quebec are pretty good. So when I saw the uh, matchup, I was like, oh, my, on basically just a spur-of-the-moment thing, uh, just a gutterage. I'm like, you know what, I think I'm just going to drive down. I'm going to go check this out. So, and yeah, I was pretty impressed with the game. So, um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, the, no, the reason br- like a, yeah, the reason oh, I bring oh, it up is because it was very competitive uh, in terms of it. And then you have the Regina slash Valkyries uh, squad, and you know how yeah. talented – you know that side of the uh, equation is in terms of the uh, the WCFL, um, you know, scope in in that uh, division. So it was a great matchup to have that. Um, you had IWFL Montreal Blitz taking on the uh, you know the the uh, Riot slash Valkyrie squad. So tell us a little bit about the game. Yeah, the game was really interesting. And uh, what else is cool too? I'm pretty sure the coaches. Uh, uh, of course, the, all the coaches for that'll be on the coaching staff for Canada's national women's football team were there because the, this was tournaments kind of used as the first spot of their identification process for checking out players. And yeah, that final gave them a lot of stuff to look at. Um, yeah, it was interesting the way things turned out. Um, Saskatchewan got the jump out on uh, on the Montreal Blitz squad. They actually jumped out to a 24 to nothing lead. And a lot of it was behind the power running of uh, both Samantha Matheson from the Valkyries and Carmen Agar from the uh, Regina Riot. And But uh, one thing was interesting, it didn't look like the Montreal team never kind of looked, even though they got down, got off to a slow start, they didn't look beaten. They were just misfiring on, a, on some things. And they were doing some good things, like their pass defense was really good. And that turned up in the second half, and, of course, uh, 
Saskatchewan was pinned late in the first half, so they had to give up a safety, so it was 24-2 to at halftime. And then when the second half came out, the Blitz, uh, the Quebec team, the Blitz from Montreal, they, they came out on fire. They uh, closed the gap to within 24-15. Their, their quarterback, that Maude Lacasse, and I guess she's only 21 years old, she was, like, throwing the ball all, all over the place. She had, I think it was, like, 359 yards passing. She was 20. 25 of uh she was 25 of 40 and uh, all of a sudden they were right back into the game and they probably they could have closed up the gap a lot more uh a lot quicker the uh pass defense on the defensive side for Montreal was really good and they uh they got a couple big interceptions one of them which helped them get produce uh one of the set up one of the two uh touchdowns gets within 24-15 and then they missed a couple other interceptions. One would have put them at midfield, put them at the 50, the Saskatchewan 50. Always oh, got to remember in Canada we have a 55-yard line. <laughs> but yeah, they right, dropped right. an interception. Yeah, yeah, the, they dropped an interception that would have set them up with a short field at the Saskatchewan 50, and that was kind of a key play in the game because uh, at that point in the game, you could tell. Because uh, of course, with the Saskatchewan players, they don't—they don't deal with a lot of ups and downs in the games, except for when the Riot and the Valkyries play each other. And so it's a new experience where they were getting another team make a pushback against them, and you could tell some some nerves and some doubt started to creep into the Saskatchewan side. And it was—it was different because I'd never really had seen that before. And then, uh, of course, once they went into the early in the fourth quarter the big turning point play where Saskatchewan got the momentum back. It was 24-15. Saskatchewan was, uh, after a coffin quarter punt, was pinned at uh, their own six-yard line. And and then they got to the 10, and on a second and uh, second and six, Matheson broke off a 55-yard run. And then that drive eventually resulted and finished off with uh, Edgar scoring on a 17-yard touchdown. So they put together a 104-yard scoring drive to go back up 31 to 15 and that was that's where Saskatchewan got the momentum back in that game which kind of I would say didn't kind of help I wouldn't say seal it because um, they got a field goal we're up 34 15 and then the, the blitz came back with another touchdown pass there was still like 458 to go again and then they were driving and around uh, with about a minute 58 left in the game uh, Montreal, they turned the ball over around Saskatchewan's 28-yard line. Shea DeJong forced a fumble off of a, on a hit on a uh, on one of the Quebec receivers. And, uh, and then, of course, once that was recovered, the game was over at that point. But, uh, yeah, the Blitz were driving again at that point to close it to within a one-score game. And so, yeah, it was a, it was a very intriguing and a very competitive contest. And, a, like, a, it was, yeah, it was a really good game if you changed – Probably three or four plays in that game, you could have had a easily could have had a different result in this one. Now we know how good uh, Lacoste, uh, Maude, uh, Lacoste is coming out. Uh, she's really good. They had a six and two season in the IWFL. So, I mean, mm-hmm. some of them even some people even said they should have been in the playoffs. But you know, a different story for a different time. But reality is they mm-hmm. they have a very good squad in Montreal and they have a very championship caliber squad in Montreal. They've won championships in the IWFL and the only Canadian representative in the US League. 
So coming into this game, you knew, uh, as you said before, Regina and uh, the Riot and Valkyrie uh, players uh, kind of saw themselves across the wing <laughs> and kind of realized this is not going to be that easy of a match <laughs> as in the first round. So uh, that was pretty impressive, mm-hmm. I guess, when you saw it. And I watched it, and uh, Montreal is always always tough to play, and they play very good, very good ball. Yeah, and they they've got girls that they got catch the ball like uh, Annabelle Chevry had like over 100 yards receiving, and the one linebacker Virginia Rosell played both ways. And she could catch the ball really well too, and uh, yeah, and uh, number 88 uh, Genevieve St. John, she could catch like they had a lot could catch the ball. They had a lot of players that could catch the ball too. So it was like, and it wasn't like one girl like yeah like Lacoste had like a lot of options to go to too. So, so yeah, that was impressive to see. And then on the other side, like the pass defense, uh, Montreal had like, uh, Amy Kowalski was only three of 11, three 11 passing for Saskatchewan and the right quarterback. And she had two touchdown passes, but she also had like two interceptions. She could have had easily had four interceptions. And, and there was times they were jumping the routes on her and, I could tell Amy looked startled on that too. Like uh, she'd throw something where just the timing route and the DB jumped in front of it and she wasn't expecting that at all. So that was also a learning experience for Amy. So that was, uh, yeah, it was very interesting that way. The uh, Saskatchewan O-line when it came to the run game, like, oh, yeah, they showed, I think they uh, Montreal ended up getting a heads up there. The O-line for Saskatchewan played extremely good. Um, for the right, where one of the Valkyries made up the O line there, and uh, yeah, like I say, the two power backs, uh, like uh, Samantha Matheson, almost she was three yards shy of 200. She had 16 carries for 197 yards, and the one rushing touchdown, and she caught a uh, one-yard pass on a play action for receiving touchdown on the goal line. And Edgar had 137 yards on 20 carries, and she had a touchdown and. And yeah, so yeah, it was uh, it was the ground it was the ground show ground game against the air game and and this one just the way it just the way it played out and I know how the person I know what the personnel Saskatchewan has like they did a lot in the semifinal of the game they did a lot more passing but just the way this final played out the running backs stepped up to the fore and yeah Samantha Mathis ended up being named the offensive MVP. For the tournaments and uh, uh, what she called uh, Roussel from uh, the Montreal Blitz was named the defensive MVP for the tournament. Now in the bronze game, you guys had uh, it was uh, it was Alberta taking on uh, New Brunswick, and mm-hmm. so kind of an uh, sort of an exciting game as well. And in terms of Team Alberta, and that's really make up that, that's made up of what a lot of the Storm Calgary uh, Rage type players out there. Yeah, the Alberta team, they had a that was a quite the quite the mix. I couldn't even tell like coming in from uh what you call it to when I was checking out on Facebook cause I have a couple of players over there. Like yeah, there's a whole bunch of the steel players. There's a there's like almost an even mix of the steel, Calgary Rage and Edmonton Storm players. Like they had a and then the Grand Prairie had a couple got the Grand Prairie Northern Attic had a couple players in the mix as well. And yeah, it was like uh, they probably had the more, most mix mismatched mix match of a team that was there. Like, uh, like, yeah, I was. Uh, 
And but and I guess the impressive side on theirs is they had a lot of players coming from like basically four different places, and uh, they came to. You got to admit they came together pretty. I have to admit they came together pretty well. Like they won the bronze medal game against New Brunswick, and I know New Brunswick. I assume they aren't as strong as like this is the first time I so I don't didn't really know a whole lot about them. So uh, I assume they probably weren't as strong as the other teams that were there. And so Alberta won that one 30-21. And then Alberta also in their semifinal game was able to get 31 points on the Blitz. And the opposite side was, though, the Blitz had, I think, was 54 on on their side of the scoreboard. So they just they couldn't stop Montreal. Uh, they couldn't stop Montreal either. But still, they were able to put up 31 points of their own. So that was pretty impressive on 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 Alberta's side and sometimes when you have them especially in football like you know so many things are timing things and if you're going to put together put together a team you got like even if, uh these 36 roster 36 uh, player rosters for this tournament you have like eight people coming from this team and nine people from this team and nine people from this team and four from this team and to try to get everybody's timing down to gel like it's uh it there's a process, and uh, like the uh, especially the Western Women's Football League game, football league season had only been over for about a month. So, in a, basically, a month of getting together for practices, Alberta was able to get together where they were able to get some things down and get some uh, get some continuity. And that, uh, looking back at that their tournament, that was pretty impressive. Yeah, and you had uh, Cassidy Atwater and uh, Araya McGowan. As well as uh, Aaron Wal- uh, Walt- Walton contribute most of most of it was Atwater, so she had a good game uh, in terms of the bronze game. And then we got to uh, you know give credit to Olivia the Merchant uh, from the New Brunswick squad uh, for the you know touchdowns as well. So uh, you know a good outing in, in that regard. Um, Darren, the, the tournament setup different different than the challenge setup. So uh, and. Do you know if they're going to go forward with this format in terms of the next? Is it, is it going to be a, every four years or is it every, every year? Or what what what? Uh, I would hope. What do you know about they it? Said, this is this one they said was the inaugural one. So I hope. That, I think in a perfect world, it would it would be cool if they could go through this every year. I'm not sure if that's feasible at this point. I'd say I'd say every four years would be. Every two or every four years is realistic expectations. Nobody said one word or one way or the other what's gonna, what's going to happen uh, going forward. But I think for a first time out, this is, of course, this is a good first crack at it as a first time out because of course they had four they had four teams here and this one of course like I said they did full out games. So on the Thursday they play they played. Uh, Basically, they split the they seeded the teams, and that's how they did the two semifinal matchups. And and then, of course, the winners of of that went to Sunday's final. The losers ended up going to the bronze medal game. And if they, of course, uh, for doing going forward in the future, if they include more provinces or more teams, of course, up here in Canada, um, they have the uh, Football Canada Cup, and that's for players under the 18 under 18 and under who are about to uh enter the university ranks uh, be it up here in Canada or down in the United States and in that tournament they have uh six teams and they uh it goes basically about eight or nine days and you play games on a Sunday and 
depending on, I think, on who wins or loses, sets up the games on Wednesday, and then from there, Saturday's the final. So they, Football Canada has that for a map if they ever want to, if the women's event ever gets expanded to, like, to six teams beyond the four right now. But, uh, yeah, those details are still, it's still something that has to be worked out because, as I said before, women's football, it's still kind of a newer thing like the Western Women's Football League out here has only been around since 2011. I know teams in Alberta, like the Edmonton Storm, have been around since I think 2001. So there are some teams that have been been around a little bit older. But, uh, yeah, it's just uh, things uh, – it's basically a step at a time. So uh, nobody said what the next step will be. I think basically right now everybody for Football Canada is just worried about getting – figuring out who they're going to put on the Canadian team for when they uh, play Worlds next year. And then uh, then after I think that's wrapped up, they'll have a better idea of what they want to do with this tournament going forward. But I'm, I'm pretty certain it's going to return. Just under what format it returns, if it's going to be four teams or if it's going to be bigger tournaments or if it's going to be every two years, every four years, or if it's going to be every year, I know the players would like it to be every year. They'd really enjoyed it. Uh, that's the time will tell at this point. Now we know uh, the majority of the uh, competitions are going to, you know, are going to be probably before the worlds because that's what it looks like right mm-hmm. now. They had it in 2012. It's 2016. Mm-hmm. That's four years later. The world mm-hmm. tournament, obviously, a year away from now. So that would make mm-hmm. sense to have that. But they they also have uh, international. Uh, flag right more frequent than mm-hmm. they do tackle so that helps them yeah they you know maintain and stuff yeah and i think that goes every year too because uh because i remember because of course uh i think it was uh the third week of the regular season for the western women's canadian football league uh both uh the valkyries lost a bunch of players for the one game because and the coach because jeff yowsey was coaching the saskatchewan team and they went out to flag nationals uh, that one week, and I think it was the Victoria May Long weekend here, which would have been the weekend before Memorial Day down there in the States. And uh, yeah, and I think there were a lot, if I remember correctly, there were like six teams out, out at that. So there there was a lot more participation. And I'm not sure if that goes, I think that my gut tells me that goes every year, but I don't, not totally sure. I'd almost have to look up uh, Football Canada's website on that. But I know that one's. They've got more provincial inclusion right now and more interest with sending players. So uh, I know that one will probably go a little bit more quicker than bringing out the uh, full-out tackle. But I'm pretty certain, like, uh, at least within four years or before the next time when they have a cycle leading up to Worlds, there'll be another one of these the year before. Like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident, in, confident in that. Any major injuries uh, that happened there at all, or was it just uh, everything was good at the end? Is there any injuries at all? Well, I think Sam was going to be good. Of course, uh, the one noticeable one was at the end of the uh, at the end of the gold medal game was uh, after Saskatchewan went up uh, 31 to 15, and when they're driving and on the drive that led to the field goal, where they went up 34 uh, 31. So the series after Samantha Matheson. Broke off her uh, 55-yard run uh, on a short carry. She got it was one of those football plays where she got tangled up in a collision of players. I think there's like three or four players, and she got kind of 
her legs twisted up there, and she and Samantha Matheson's really tough, and she gave out a big scream, and you could hear it. So, and she was down for a bit. So at first, when you thought like for her to stay down, at first you know, the fears are really bad. It's like, well, Matheson, Samantha Matheson's really really tough for her to not get up right away. Something had to be really really wrong, and. She ended up, uh, she didn't have to go to hospital. Uh, she got helped off the field. She didn't finish the game. and uh, They were checking out her right knee, and they said uh, it seemed like everything had swelled up. And I know when I talked with her after the game, because I interviewed her after the game, she was, she was thinking herself that she, she was going to be fine. And she said, she said, well, my initial fear is this might hold me back for maybe tryouts or any of the trout camps further on down the road. But she said, yeah, I'm pretty certain, like, very, very minimum, like, for sure I'll be fine, like, next season. She didn't think it was going to be that serious. She said the trainers, when they're checking out everything, felt like everything was intact. I'm pretty sure she went and saw her doctor, so I don't know, uh, during this week, so I don't know what the follow-ups would have been on that. So, because um, at first, of course, her knee was still swelled up but uh she had a major knee injury not to her right knee or left knee before and i think she needed surgery on that because that comes from her playing because before playing football she also played rugby and soccer and um and so she's been through that process before so she has kind of a guide to know how she feels and how her body's supposed to feel and and so she was pretty confident that she was going to be uh, the injury wasn't going to be a long-term thing, and it wasn't like uh, they don't ex- they don't think she tore like did anything like tore like she did not do anything like tear an ACL, and MCL, or PCL or something that bad. So, so that's a good sign. Okay. So um, yeah, so I know when, I, when he talk knees, that's what everybody thinks. They always think, oh God, ACL tear. It's a year to get back. Yeah. And, <laughs> and stuff. So, but uh, yeah, look. Well, that's usually, usually the worst case worst case scenario is devastation because once you have that, it's rehab and nobody wants to go through that. So, yeah. So uh, yeah, I think it's going to be the prognosis right now looks like it's the best. Uh, it's going to be best case scenario. The trainers didn't think anything was torn up, and it's just how how does the knee look when the swelling gets down? It might be just well things where it's a severe sprain, and so like that'll go away within within a quick amount of time, especially for considering the fact that they're not going to be playing for a long time now. So, so yeah, it, it looks, uh, everything looks uh, optimistic on her front, unless I end up seeing, uh, hearing otherwise from somewhere down the line. Like say, she does go see her doctors, but they don't think anything major happens. So that's, that's a good sign. Yeah, it's always good, uh, especially uh, you know with knee injuries. It's like it's not a, not uh, not something to kind of mess around with, especially with the rehab time frame. Um, so, Darren, I mean, overall a great weekend of, of football, and even with the you know the teams that obviously needed to come up, um, the New Brunswick team was pri- probably primarily made of uh, the Maritime squad. I'm assuming at this point, right? Yeah, it was a kind of mixed. Like I say, I don't totally know a whole lot about the football out there. A lot looks like a lot of players came from Saint John Storm. There's Capillary Gladiators. I'm not sure where that team's from. There's a few girls there from the Halifax Explosion. 
and the and yeah, so they had a bit of a mix uh, mix of teams there. One of the note note one things I did note that caught my eye right away is uh, Emma Hicks, who was the GM for the uh, for the Regina Riot, was actually one of the uh, assistant coaches uh, for the uh, New Brunswick team. She's originally uh, from New Brunswick, and uh, I know after the Western Women's Canadian Football League season uh, was finished, she did I think with uh, work she did end up back in New Brunswick, so I'm hoping that means she's going to, if she was one of the assistant coaches there, I hope that means she's going to be, well, knowing Emma, she'll probably have her hands hooked in there, and I think that will be good for the women's tackle football out there because she was really, as a young GM out here, and then she also played offensive line for the Re- Regina Ride a couple, two, three years back too. Like she was uh, she was really good as a GM, and she was really good as an O-lineman and as a player, and yeah, so... I think that'll be a good thing for New Brunswick football as well. Yeah, so overall a great weekend of the uh, Senior Women's uh, National Championship Tournament. Um, I was very impressed. I was I watched the uh, the game on there um, on mm-hmm. Periscope as well through the uh, through at Nat uh, at uh, Nat Champ Football on the Twitter mm-hmm. feed. Um, so shout out to a Random Riot fan on Twitter for the updates and as well as yourself. For the uh, recap oh, yeah. on the uh, blog recap, so that was yeah, awesome. Appreciate weekend for Ryan both fans of you. Shout out, shout out to that. <laughs> yeah, uh, you guys are awesome. Uh, I really appreciate you networking with us, uh, keeping us in the know in terms of what's going on with the Canadian women's uh, gridiron scene. Uh, really appreciate that, and uh, looking forward to obviously the 2017 season coming up. Um, it'll be here anytime soon, of course. But uh, overall, and a great season in WWCFL, great season in the MWFL. And obviously Montreal had an awesome equal season, six and two in the mm-hmm. IWFL. So uh, Canadian game, like we talked about before, Darren. Uh, to your point, yeah. you know Saskatchewan probably the strongest region there. Um, mm-hmm. It would just be nice to have um, Montreal join in the mix. So uh, I mean to be part of that, uh, maybe the the WWCFL at this point, that would be great. But uh, logistics and everything, obviously that's the issue. Uh, but overall, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's very promising. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know it's been kicked around. Uh, I know the teams here. I know. I don't know how far it's going to go, but I know the Valkyries have kicked uh, around the idea of having an exhibition game with one of the teams from the Independent Women's Football League. I'm not sure. Of course, there's the idea's just been kicked around. I'm not sure where that'll where that'll lead to, but it's kind of encouraging that that idea is getting kicked around. I wouldn't mind seeing that. I think that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I think the logistic issue would be football, somehow Football mm-hmm. Canada trying to support uh, the Montreal team with some sort of travel mm-hmm. funding because it would be that mm-hmm. kind of arrangement. It'd have, to, it'd have to be supported in some way. I, I don't know what yeah. you know how far Montreal is from Saskatchewan, but I'm oh, pretty sure there's far. a cost. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, God, you know, this this like, tournament probably makes sense for them because they're yeah. probably fundraising for a long time, understanding mm-hmm. when you know when it is to, to get there. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was awesome. So Darren, thank you again. Uh, we're look. Uh, our fans are very uh, grateful for your insight on the blog and uh, awesome blog for getting getting it up on Monday. So uh, it kind of gives you the breakdown there, and so uh, we've been sharing it already on Facebook and also on our Twitter feed. So. Uh, thank you for that, and we'll keep tabs uh, for next season. If anything comes up uh, in your realm of the world, just 
uh, you know, uh, just networking with us. So I'll try to get the word out in the in the women's great iron scene in Canada. That way, people stay up to date on it. And uh, thank you for being part of the No Joke Football Project in uh, in bringing awareness to the uh, women's game. Oh, thanks, guys. And yeah, and, and big show and thank, big thanks to you guys for everything you do for women's football. And even for me, it's been a learning experience because I'm starting to realize how big this world actually is with as far as women's football goes. Yeah, and it's great to have uh, individuals like you that uh, obviously are putting out some sort of, uh, you know, piece that um, showcases their talent and their uh, amazing work. So um, not every sport uh, in women's in sports gets attention, so we obviously are devoted to that. So you being uh, as devoted to the Canadian scene uh, is really beneficial to ourselves, but also to the uh, wonderful players that play this game. Cool stuff. And, uh, yeah, I guess I'll uh... – uh, keep in touch and uh, before next season starts, I'm pretty sure we'll chat before the next season starts. Awesome. So, Darren, let uh, let the fans know where they can dive in. I know you do uh, other stuff besides women's uh, gridiron, uh, regular sports stuff. So, uh, can you give out your uh, blog site and then your Twitter oh. feed as well, or your Facebook? Yeah, I'll give off. Yeah, my blog site, of course, it's uh, stanksermon.blogspot.ca. Uh, you can also get it on blogspot.com, and stanks is S-T-A-N-K-S-S-E-R-M-O-N. And, of course, my Twitter handle is stanksports, uh, S-T-A-N-K-S, sports. And, uh, yeah, I, I tweet, quite, tw- tweet quite a bit, and I put a lot of cool photos up there, and, uh yeah, of course. Uh, of course, uh, the Valkyries uh, and the Western Women's Canadian Football League is a big interest, and maybe check out some other things. And yeah, football keeps rolling here, and it's so funny because with the girls having finished up, uh, I'll be heading off to Hilltops practice the uh, storied uh, Canadian Junior Football League team up uh, out here. It's won 18 national championships. Their training camps underway, and their alumni games like Thursday. So. I'm, now that the girls are finished, I'm going to be going over to seeing what the guys are doing. And and then um, the university scene in Canada starts up about the same time as down in the States. So that'll be getting their training camps will be getting going in a couple weeks. And and then, of course, my other main thing is, of course, in Canada, the biggest sport is, is hockey. And uh, hockey season gets a lot of the uh, major junior camps start opening around the 23rd. So, yeah, I'm going to be quite busy coming up here pretty quick. Awesome. So uh, safe travels out there. Really appreciate you making the time and uh, continued success as well. And we'll keep tabs on you on Twitter and also on the blog blog site. So thank you again, and we'll look forward to the 2017 WWCFL and MWFL seasons in Canada. Awesome. Uh, Great talking with you guys. All right, Darren, thank you. Have a great afternoon. We'll be in touch. Uh, Safe travels. Okay, thanks, guys. All right, so that was uh, Darren Steinke from uh, Stank Sports on Twitter, and he covers, uh, he's our insider for WWCFL and, and Maritime Women's Football League action, as well as Football Canada, uh, related to anything that's going on with the women's Canadian uh, great iron scene. And so, like you said, a great tournament. If you missed it, you can go at NAT Champ Football, uh, NAT Champ Football on Twitter. Uh, you can catch the replay there, Periscope as well. You can go to uh, through our timeline, and you can go check out the results there in terms of the tweets uh, during each tournament. Congratulations again to the uh, winners, the Team Saskatchewan. 
And then second round uh, winners, the silver medalists, the Montreal Blitz out of Team Quebec. And then the bronze winners, obviously, Alberta. Team Alberta, uh, like he said, consisted of a lot of puzzle, but they come through and did a great job to win the bronze. So congratulations to all the girls out there in Canada for uh, making the Football Canada uh, Senior Women's National Championship Tournament an exciting one. And so we look forward to next season as well. So uh, check out um, uh, Darren's blog info as well as leader post, uh, the leader leader post coverage. It's on our Facebook page at Gridiron Beauties. And you can go there now and like us and give us a shout-out. So um, got a little bit of time left here, about 15 minutes. So we'll dive into Legends Football League for the last, uh, you know, couple minutes here. Legends Football League tournament's coming up. These uh, playoffs are set as the Dallas Desire defeated the Omaha Heart uh, behind uh, Alex Drake, who was obviously participating to try to help the Heart. And Los Angeles Temptation was hoping that somehow Alex Drake and Omaha would pull up an upset victory, which no miracle at this point. So Saturday, July 30th, Dallas 87, Omaha 12 at Ralston. Now the uh, setup is set. This weekend you got the Atlanta Steam. Rivalry Week taking on the Chicago Bliss at Toyota Park. Atlanta and Chicago, very tough rivals. And so at this point, it's going to be uh, Adrian Purnell, Dakota Hughes, and uh, Lauren Ziegler taking on, obviously, Chris Dal Harris and Jacinda Barkley and A.J. Johnson. And uh, the winner literally moves to the playoffs uh, for Saturday, August 13th, the conference championships. It's going to look like a rematch. So whoever wins here, Chicago, if Chicago wins, you're looking at um, basically an upper leg for them to return to the Legends Cup. If, if Atlanta wins, um, it is their uh, basically big moment because the Bliss has owned them. And now we're going to see whether uh, Jacinda Barkley is going to make a big difference here in terms of this rivalry. Uh, before, it was Heather Furr who obviously had their number. And then you have Chantel Williams, Joshy, Joshy Rice on one side in terms of Chicago, a little bit more uh, in tune with that. Their road to get here was uh, a little bit more uh, easier in some senses, uh, tough at the beginning because they lost to uh, Seattle. But for the most part, it seems like they've steamrolled into this. Dallas, uh, I mean Dallas Atlanta, has had a little tougher road. They lost, obviously, to the temptation at home. 33-26 to 26 in a very tight contested game. They were tested for the first time this year, and so uh, we're going to see their second test of the season, and can they match up a competitive opponent, just like the, the Bliss. Uh, we know the history here, Dane Robinson versus Coach Hack. Coach Hack does not uh, approve of, of Atlanta. It would be uh, an exciting thing for him to just go ahead and beat them once more. <laughs> uh, but uh, Robinson and company, they would love to get the big win, and uh, it looks like back-to-back games for them. It will be Atlanta, Chicago coming up this Saturday, August 6th. The I'm sorry, um, August 6th, and then August 13th. It would be probably a rematch at this point, depending on the outcome here. Uh, it's going to be a rematch as well. So they're going to play themselves twice. This one is basically to get to a level to the conference championship, uh, but uh, they're going to be meeting each other uh, this time at Toyota Park. This coming to August 6th, and then obviously at Shower Center on, I believe, August uh, 13th. And then Legends Cup is scheduled, I believe, to be in Seattle as well. So look forward to that. The other matchup 
in Legends is obviously the Dallas Desire, which we'll, we, we will see this coming weekend on YouTube uh, via the YouTube channel on Legends Football League. And it's going to be Dallas Desire against Omaha Hart. I don't know if you want to watch it, but for the most part, it was pretty competitive for about a quarter and a half. And then the, re- the other three quarters was steamrolled by, obviously, um, Michelle Angel and Nicole Peterson and company um, and Jade Randall and so Victoria Thomas. And so you'll watch that. Uh, we'll recap that game as soon as it views on the broadcast. Uh, Troy Wilson should be back by then. We'll talk it out in depth. But looking forward to Atlanta Steam versus Chicago Bliss. Um, check out the previews on our Facebook page at Great Iron Beauties. You'll get some, uh, obviously, on our Twitter feed. You'll get updates frequently as the matches combine. And then you'll get the links in terms of any updates that we have. So um, it's been a, an exciting hour the first hour and then obviously the second hour here uh, with everybody that's coming on board. Look forward to uh, Nkishi Free and Troy Wilson next weekend. I'm trying to, uh, you know, dissect the NFL training camp going into the NFL preseason and then obviously NFL kickoff. So we're only like probably uh, 40-something days away from the uh, 2016 uh, season in terms of the NFL kicking off. So kind of exciting times for that. And we'll talk uh, more training camp news We'll be able to dive into preseason as well as we go forward into the season. The women's game shifts as we go international. Starting next week, the week of August, we are looking at international competition. uh, And so we're going to be going down under uh, starting on the fall here. So we're going to be covering Gridiron Victoria, Gridiron New South Wales, Gridiron Queensland, uh, the Act. So we're going to be all over it down under and uh, we're going to be obviously uh, taking a look at our no joke football uh, supporters out there, Matilda Quist, uh, Christy Moran, Lauren Evans, uh, Kylie West. Um, We got all, all kinds of superstars out there in uh, Australia. They have supported us immensely since day one. So I urge you to go to the uh, Zazzle shop at Zazzle.com, pick up your chalk line t-shirt, a tank top t-shirt, you can modify it in any way you want at this point, any type of uh, apparel. Uh, get the chalk line and help out the women's Outback team uh, fundraiser uh, as we raise and help them out towards the 2017 uh, National Championship. And they're going to be coached by Anthony Stone, Coach Anthony Stone, very reputable and exciting coach. And then you're going to have uh, Ronko Nagurski as well, uh, Chicago Force, Coach Konecki. Uh, the Chicago Force is going to be out there as well. So they're going to be coaching the Australian team for the 2017 IFAB World Championship. So the potential is there for them to, um, you know, come into a bronze or silver medal game. Uh, I know I'm kind of overstating it a little bit here, but th- there's a lot of talent on this uh, Aussie team, uh, Outback team. So we're very, very excited, very proud um, of them as well. And I can't say enough uh, for them supporting our projects since, since day one. Uh, Christy and Lauren uh, have been on board since uh, we, we launched the project. Uh, amazing role models, amazing women, talented MVP caliber players. And so on top of the other talented players that we have on our uh, No Joke Football supporter squad in um, Australia. So we're looking forward to that. And then season two of Ladies Gridiron League should be launching as well. So we're looking forward to see how that's going to turn out. Uh, in season. So down under is where we're at during the NFL season from September all the way down to about early January and February. 
So it's going to be an exciting time to cover that. And you'll cover it. We'll cover it over at uh, twitter.com uh, on our Twitter handle at Gridiron Beauty and then on Facebook as well. So, and then we'll share everything that's going on with them. So, uh, you know, exciting times on that. In Mexico this weekend, on the women's recap as we close out here, women's recap, uh, the WFL uh, now is the V-Queens that will be taking on the Rangers uh, in the final. So we'll have that uh, update posted on our Facebook page. But uh, congratulations to both of their squads. Um, Very tough, undefeated uh, V-Queens, and then obviously the Rangers as well. So we're going to have a battle, a pretty good battle in the final. And we'll look forward to that. Uh, it should be this coming weekend and the week after. Uh, so we'll set, we'll be setting that up. So WFL, if you don't follow them, make sure you follow them on uh, Facebook, WFL, and you can get their individual uh, pages at V Queen Saltillo and then also Rangers Merida. So uh, it's going to be exciting time on the non-kit, full-kit season. It's ending there as well. And in Finland, before we get out of here, in Finland, the Roosters, um, from Helsinki Roosters, they will be taking on Tur- uh, the Trojans of Turku, uh, who is featuring former Indy Crash standout from the WFA, uh, Leah Kozla, and um, I believe it's Ellie St- uh, Stevens. If I'm mispronouncing it, I apologize. But Ellie Stevens and Leah Kozla, um, they're going to be on the uh, Turku uh, Trojans team as they take on the um, Helsinki Roosters in that matchup. So um, looking forward to that game and it's going to be televised uh, usually on SHL football. And we'll, if we get the link or the YouTube a link on there, we'll post it obviously in our Facebook and our Twitter feed. So uh, Oscar Lopez here flying solo this today. It was pretty exciting. We talked to Kenjeta Grisby of the two back-to-back two-time DC divas and MVP of the Y bowl uh, 2016. And so uh, she's obviously going to, reassess her situation, but we hope we'll see her back in action for next season. We also talked to the talented and amazing uh, Taylor Hay uh, and her uh, pit bull defense, and she ran down, obviously, why the slam slammed through the whole Tier 2 uh, process and won the title. Six six in a row uh, is what they tallied up, not allowing a touchdown. So a uh, very vicious uh, defense. Congratulations to them out there in St. Louis, and they're doing great things out there, so continued success for them. And then we talked to, uh, obviously, Darren Stanky, who's covering the WWCFL and the MWFL, and as well as the national tournament uh, that just happened this past weekend. Uh, Congratulations to Team Saskatchewan of the Riot and the Valkyries, and as well to the Montreal Blitz for playing an amazing competitive game and winning the silver. And the bronze goes to Team Alberta, consisting of a bunch of teams in the uh, Edmonton Storm, Lethbridge Steel, the um, Calgary Rage, and as well as the Anarchy, Northern Anarchy. So great job on their behalf. And the New Brunswick squad that uh, did make the, obviously, medal round, but they played pretty valiantly in the tournament as well. So for Oscar Lopez, uh, we'll see you guys next year, uh, next, uh, next Tuesday as uh, Troy Wilson and Kishi Free. So keep tabs on us. Subscribe to our channel here on YouTube, on uh, com, as well as right here on Block Talk Radio. Keep us tabs. And the more you share, the better it is for us. And we really appreciate everybody listening. We'll look forward to another edition of The Blitz right here, Block Talk Radio, com. Have a great night, everybody. <laughs>